the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Time now for the second hour of the Jimmy Sangenberger Show here on News Talk 710-KNUS. Thanks for joining us, being along for the ride today. Coming up in the next segment, we'll be joined by Michael Fields of Advanced Colorado. Talk a little bit about Proposition HH statewide. Vote now. Just simple, straightforward. Vote now. But one that isn't necessarily so simple and straightforward where there is disagreement, including between me and Michael, is in Douglas County, where there are bond and mill levy override that would be modest property tax increase measures on the ballot for Dugco schools. I'm voting yes as a Dugco resident. He's voting no. We will talk a little bit about that coming up in a bit. But first, Aurora, Colorado is the third largest city in this great state. And it is on the verge of being led increasingly by socialists. Genuine, outright socialists. Juan Marcano is running for mayor against incumbent Mike Kaufman. And as another example, an at-large, the at-large race citywide, Allison Coombs, who's currently on the council representing, I think, Ward 5, is now running for at-large. She wants to be citywide. And both of them are examples of outright socialists who were both part of the Democratic Socialists of America until the attack in Israel by Hamas and... The fallout from that, and Tim Hernandez, I won't get into that whole saga. But they, just because they left DSA, does not mean they aren't the epitome of socialists on the move. And this is so critical. What happens in Aurora will have implications all around. Because the socialists could come to your town. This is, in many ways, existential in terms of government's focus on what it should be. Which is why I'm very pleased to be joined by two candidates who are not incumbents who are running for the Aurora City Council. John O. Scott is vying for one of the two at-large seats on the ballot. And Stephanie Hancock is running for Ward 4, which will be vacated by Juan Marcano because he is running for mayor. And both John O. Scott and Stephanie Hancock join me now. Welcome to you both. Good to talk with you. Thank you, Jimmy. Uh, we uh, appreciate you having us on. You are most welcome. It is great to have you as well. Let's go, lady first. Stephanie Hancock, let's just get right to it. Who is Stephanie Hancock, and why are you running for Aurora City Council? Well, thank you, Jimmy, for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm a wife, a mom. I'm a U.S. Air Force veteran. I'm president of the Aurora Cultural Arts District Board. I currently 
um, serve in that capacity. I've owned a small business, and I've lived in Aurora for over 30 years. I'm serving because I think it's important for citizens to get involved in service to their communities. And John O'Scott, who are you and why are you running for Aurora City Council? Yeah, thanks for having me on, Jimmy. Uh, I'm a, a father, husband, pastor, uh, been on the budget uh, budget committee for the last six years, been chairman of that committee. I direct the food bank. I'm a coach, a volunteer, and just love my community. I was raised here, I'm raising my family here, and I, I truly want to serve my community and see uh, raise my family in a thriving environment uh, in which I was raised. Thriving environment. You know, John O'Scott and Stephanie Hancock, one of the cornerstones of a thriving environment means safety, that you are safe in your community, that you are not facing the threat of crimes. I mean, I'm no longer an Aurora resident, but I was for several years. And in much of that time, I was uh, dealing with the crime issue, as, as you well know. My car was stolen. I had cars stolen three different occasions, two of which were in Aurora, including one at the Stampede last November at the Republican Party, County Republican Party, Repo, uh, election night. And this is, you know, it's not quite as bad as it was but it's still terrible, and it is still something that people are dealing with, especially when it comes to violent crime. Stephanie Hancock, let's go to you first. What do you think is critical about this issue of crime as far as what to do about it? What would you do about it? What's your take? Well, you know, it, it's interesting that you say that because as we've been walking and knocking on doors since May, we've been talking to many residents who put crime at the top of their list. To your point about just the brazen you know, theft of cars right out of people's driveways and violent crime break-ins, gunshots. This morning at 2 a.m., heard gunshots, which in my community I hadn't heard before, and it's really increasingly um, concerning to me. We need to first enforce the law. Can we do that? Can we support our law enforcement and let people know that if you do a crime, you're going to do the time? And we need to have that concerted effort from not only by cops, but prosecutors to prosecute crime so people feel safe. These folks have no restrictions. And when people throw off restraint, there's chaos. I think that's well said. John O. Scott, your take on the crime issue. I mean, this is one of those things that a lot of it happens at the state level, of course, which I think requires leadership at a city council level to go to the legislature and say, hey, this is a bad proposal. Don't pass this because it is going to weaken our ability to address crime. But of course, you also have the issue play out on the council and what might happen as far as what Aurora decides to do with its policy. So your take, sir. Yeah, exactly. Stephanie's exactly right. And and to her point and to your point, it's, you know, one o'clock in the morning last night, my wife woke me up with a startle saying, did you hear that? Those gunshots were very close to our house. You know, I couldn't go to a forum because my car, my ignition was destroyed because someone tried to steal it. My car's been broken oh. into three or four times. Oh, no. It, 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 it's in Aurora, you either have or know someone who's either had a vehicle stolen or broken into, or you hear the gunshots all, all the time. My Kids are experts now on whether it's a firework or a gunshot. That's not the thriving environment I grew up in. And to Stephanie's point, she's exactly right. We have to enforce our laws on the books. Then we have to expand punishments for crime. And we need to empower our victims to, to know, hey, if someone commits a crime in my neighborhood, they are going to be prosecuted 
and they're going to have to face penalties for their crime. There are things that we've done uh, on council, certain council members that I am in huge support of that have expanded the penalties, the mandatory minimums. Uh, yes, our, our, our hands are tied on a city level because of some of the state level policies, but locally we can do mandatory minimums. Ever since the 30-day minimum jail time for stealing a car that current council members have put on, uh, Dustin Zvonik, uh, uh, Daniel Cherensky spearheading that, uh, we've seen a reduction in crime, in, in stolen vehicles. And there's still a long way to go for sure. But uh, the, the principle is when you enforce the laws, you expand the penalties, then crime goes down. And that's exactly what we need to do. Well, and, and Jono, I really want to put a pin on one aspect of this, which is the potential for weakening the situation in Aurora. Because when you look at one of the other candidates running for at-large, Allison Coombs, who's incumbent for Ward 5 in Aurora, she is, as I mentioned, outright socialist and has advocated for scaling back the tools, for defunding police, for taking steps that would dramatically curtail the ability for law enforcement to enforce the law at a, at a most basic level. And it's also embodied by mayoral candidate Juan Marcano, who has publicly supported what's called eight to abolition, which includes not only defunding police, but ending prisons, letting people out of jail. The list goes on. Jono, this is a big clash of just a basic vision of what society should be like at a most structural level. Right. Our, our crime is the number one issue in Aurora. We've been knocking on doors, Stephanie and I, since late May. And the kitchen table issues that everybody's talking about is we want to feel safe in our neighborhoods. We want our families to feel safe in our neighborhoods. And my opponent, you know, she can take off her socialist pin or the communist fist pin. She can take it off, but she still has a socialist policy. And the reality is when you demoralize and you call for the defunding of our police, crime rises. That's common sense. And we cannot allow that to happen. We have in our city, uh, someone sent me a graphic in 2014, the FBI had Aurora ranked as one of the safest large cities in America. And now you have the exact same, or you have the, the, the reports coming out that Aurora is one of the least safe, the, the highest crime in America. And you're like, what happened? Well, between 2017 and 2021, we had far less socialist policies implemented that destroyed the, the, the safety of our neighborhood. Far more socialist, and we don't yeah. want to... We don't want to uh, feel uh, we want to feel safe in our neighborhoods. That's exactly what families want. And uh, we want to be a part of fixing that and being a solution to that. Yeah. Uh, Stephanie Hancock, as we look at Ward 4, where you were running, we look at citywide. The, the stakes in this election are genuinely just significantly high for Aurora. And if socialism can reign in Aurora's uh, quarter, which is the third largest city in this state, then it can expand anywhere else in the surrounding region. And that ought to concern everybody. It absolutely should concern everyone. And, and what I've been emphasizing as we have been walking, as you know, as a U.S. Air Force veteran, I am a stakeholder in my life. And as citizens, we are all stakeholders in our own lives. We're, we have to be actively engaged. And the way you do that is with your vote. And when people 
sit and wait for the cavalry to come. It's not coming. You are the cavalry. You are the person who needs to step up and step out and say this far and no farther. I am tired of, you know, 90% of the people being victimized by 10. I'm tired of feeling unsafe when I, you know, I need to get like supernatural locks for my doors and windows and all kinds of things because I'm, I'm afraid. I want to walk down the street and if I see a group of young people walking, I won't feel scared because I know that they know how to follow the rules. I'm noticing that these, the criminal element is younger and younger. And what does that say about the breakdown of the family and the family dynamic in this community and, and dare I say, in this country? But people need to know that the people who serve them on the council are, are engaged in helping our city be safe, prosperous, and affordable. Those are the things that people are talking about. Those are the yeah. things with the council we have the power to address. Stephanie, in that regard, then, let's talk about voter turnout, because what I'm hearing is that we aren't getting ballots turned in by voters, even to levels that we normally see. What are you noticing as a candidate in is happening in Aurora as far as voter turnout, which, by the way, applies all over the state because everybody has local elections going on right now across Colorado. Right. <laughs> That's the thing. It's like. Off your off cycle elections, when it's not a presidential election, people feel like it's not as important. But what I've been telling people as late as yesterday, when I was walking the doors yesterday, is that this election is important to you. Politics in this community is local. What the city council does will impact you directly. What happens on a national level has a whole other set of ramifications. But what is being done on the city council in Aurora will help or hurt you. So you need to turn in your ballot. It's really important. I talked to people yesterday. Well, it's on the counter. Take it off the counter. Fill it out. Vote for John O'Scott and Stephanie Hancock and put it in the box. No on H <laughs> and put your ballot yeah. in the box. Well, uh, Jono, one thing I want to say, conservatives, we all talk about smaller government, especially at the federal level. We want the state government to be more hands off and allow for greater local control. And yet, how can you make that argument and at the same time not participate in the elections that are most impactful to your day to day life, city councils and school boards? Yeah, you're exactly right. This is quite literally where the rubber meets the road. Local issues are right here and if we don't get involved and turnout is low we we need to here here's what here's what people can do and and i lost last election two years ago by just over a hundred votes and that's been playing over and over and over and over in my mind we have to get out the vote the best thing that anybody can do in the in the metro area and then people here listening here in aurora and outside of aurora the best thing you can do to help preserve these values and common sense principles is to convince at least 10 people to vote, to turn in their ballots and then confirm that they do convince and confirm 10 people. Everybody has their social network, but convince 10 people to turn in their ballots and then confirm that they do help them, encourage them, inform them, educate them. They can turn in their ballots, but we need to ensure that they do that. And, and if, if there are, a hundred, a thousand people doing that, then that multiplies our efforts. And that's exactly what we need to win. Mm, Get engaged. This is the time. This is the time to do it. 
We have three days to turn in ballots. Do it this weekend and and make sure that 10 other people do as well. Uh, I am running out of time here, but John, real quickly, you mentioned how your election, when you ran previously in one of the wards, you lost by just about 200 votes. There was a recount that you had requested in that race. I remember because I was on the canvas board representing the Arapahoe Republican Party. We were both there together observing this. <laughs> and after that recount, you felt confident in the results, because in part because you were able to observe it. For folks who are concerned about election integrity right now what do you say to them based on your experience a couple of years ago with your own recount when you lost by a razor thin margin of literally 200 votes well yeah it was 126 jim <laughs> it was so close closer to 100 yeah is, yeah the reality is going through this process yeah i had questions in my mind but going through this process helps confirm in my mind that we can have confidence in our election systems. There is a process that goes through. And yes, originally I was skeptical, but going through this process, I have been, I have confidence. And, and, and if, if a, a, the excuse is I'm not going to vote because I'm concerned my vote won't count, that is not a good excuse. We can have confidence. There is yes. transparency. There is accountability. There is the process. So get out there and vote. And and if you don't, they've won. If they've intimidated or make you think that your votes don't count, they do count. And please get out there. We can have yeah. confidence in our election system. Well said. Thank you. Uh, Stephanie Hancock, as we wrap up here, where could folks go to learn more about you and your campaign? And a real brief final word. Well, you know, you can go to Stephanie, the number four, Aurora.com. Stephanie, the number four, Aurora.com. I'm committed to service, and I have been all my life. I want to be on the Aurora City Council to serve our community. And John O. Scott, where can folks go for your campaign and a final word? Yeah, johnoscott.com to find out more about me, or Go Vote Colorado to find out where you can turn in your ballot. Please, please, please vote for us, and please convince 10 other people to do so as well. John O. Scott running at large, Stephanie Hancock running for Ward 4, both in Aurora. Stalwarts here against the rise in socialism and social of socialists in the city of Aurora. Again, don't let this happen in Aurora because then it might come to your town as well. Thank you both and best of luck to you on Tuesday. Thanks for having us, Thank Jimmy. You. Appreciate it. You bet. Once again, John O'Scott, Stephanie Hancock joining us both running in Aurora. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Michael Fields of Advanced Colorado will join us as we continue on Denver's local talk leader, News Talk 710 KNUS. <laughs> Jeff Chaz, quite a blues tune, cooking in old grease. You know, folks, as we continue on the Jimmy Sangenberger Show, going back to those days before Tabor. Like the 1980s. Going back to those days would be like cooking in old grease. And yet if Proposition HH passes, that will almost certainly be the inevitable result. Sure, it'll take several years to get there, but we'll almost certainly get there. To talk about this and why we should not be cooking in old grease... I'm pleased to be joined by Michael Fields, of course, president of Advance Colorado, who joins me now. Sir, welcome back. It's good to talk with you, my friend. 
Thanks for having me back on, Jimmy. So is that a good analogy? You know, going back to prop, to the, or rather the days before Tabor would be like cooking in old grease, wouldn't it? I, I like that. You always have the best uh, intro music here. And so uh, it's true. I, I appreciate best bumper music known to man, Michael. I, I agree with that. Uh, I think absolutely. I mean, this is, you know, HH is one of those attempts to try to get rid of half of, of our taxpayers' Bill of Rights and really not being honest about it. I mean, that's the biggest issue I think people have is if you want to do that, put it in the ballot language. Let us know what we're doing. Don't try to tie it to some, you know, property tax crisis that's going on right now. Uh, they tried to do this in, in 2019 with Prop CC. Voters shot it down. I'm hoping that they do it again this year. Yeah, as we look at Prop HH, let's talk about some of that deception because they're acting like this will result in a reduction in property taxes. And even you you did last week a tremendous job along with State Rep. Rose Puglisi debating Governor Polis and Art Laffer, who, of course, came up with the Laffer curve. He is renowned among conservatives for being a great economist, and yet he has this this weakness when it comes to the state of Colorado and his friend, someone he has mentored, Jared Polis, views him basically as a second son. And when you look at the debate last week, one of the things that was so striking was the fact that you had a conservative trying to argue that this was a good thing and that it would actually help produce prosperity and even help renters. And my mind was blown in that moment, Michael. Yeah, I think, you know, that just wasn't true. I don't think he really understands the issue that well. Obviously, a good economist nationally, I have a lot of respect for him, was a super nice guy uh, during the debate beforehand, after, after, et cetera. But, you know, when it came to this issue, there's a reason why not one Republican voted for HH. There's a reason why not one conservative group is supporting HH. And that's because, you know, property taxes are skyrocketing and they're trying to force us to not only pay for it, but to pay more than that, lose more money, it's a tax increase in the long run. And so, you know, this is a simple solution. We talked about it during the debate and Rose brought it up. You can come in, you know, during session, they could have dealt with this problem. They should have lowered property taxes, should have capped how much they can go up. Uh, they decided to use this crisis to go after our Tabor tax refunds and really just be, um, you know, they wanted to say, well, the first couple of years, it's not that big of a deal. Well, you know, as the years go on, they take more and more where it eventually goes away. And our, uh, uh, you know, uh, Scott Wasserman, if you if anybody knows who he is, he runs the Bell uh, Policy Center. And he said, if you care about your Tabor refunds in eight years, then then vote no on this. And I said, a lot of people care about their Tabor refunds in eight years. Uh, and so a lot of people are going to vote no on this. And one thing that I think is important to put a pin on is that they could have done in the legislature mm -hmm. what they claim they are doing on the ballot without going to a vote of the people. The only reason that you would have to go to a vote of the people to reduce or ostensibly to reduce taxes would be if you're actually raising taxes because Tabor requires you to go for a vote. Otherwise, they could have just passed this as Republicans are trying to propose now if we get to a special session or in the beginning of a session in January for the legislature saying, let's go ahead and do these tax cuts without having any impact on Tabor. Absolutely. And they, and they should do bigger tax cuts. I mean, I, I'm in Douglas County and, you know, my taxes are going to go up 41 percent under HH, 34 percent still. Uh, they could cut that down to something reasonable, 10 percent or under uh, if they wanted to. The, the only reason this is on the ballot at all is to go after Tabor. 
and to do it in a way uh, that tries to trick people that says, can we use the state surplus, <laughs> right? Um, that No mention of Tabor in the ballot language, but you can see that they saw that their messaging wasn't working because the last couple of weeks they've changed to talking about how this protects Tabor and how, you know, we'll have a 40% increase if you don't pass it. Their messaging changed because they know people aren't buying this and they're trying to pitch it as a conservative uh, ballot measure, which it is not. And let's just ask one final question on this topic, which is if you're somebody listening and, you know, you're not necessarily an expert in economics, you're not a Tabor pro, you're just an average person who's talking politics and what's happening in our state with family or friends, how would you recommend that they explain Prop HH in simple terms and why there needs to be a categorical no vote? Yeah, so I think, you know, the simple way to say it is just that this green lights the largest property tax increase in Colorado history and then takes your Tabor refunds forever. And I think people understand that, you know, what Tabor refunds are now, given that they got those Colorado cashback checks last year, you can point directly to those. But I think the key is to have that conversation with people. I'm glad you had Jono and Stephanie on in the last segment because, you know, these local races, these off-year races are so important, but we got to get people to vote. So you have to have those conversations. I have a lot of neighbors who are like, what am I supposed, you know, what, what do I vote on this? You know, what's going on with that? You have to have those conversations, encourage people to get their ballots in because this could pass if people are unaware of what it means, what's going on, and they just read the ballot language. Again, Michael Fields, our guest, president of Advance Colorado, joining us. I mean, this the implications of this are staggering. The big benefit of the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights, Tabor, has been in checking the size and scope and growth of government and also ensuring that we get money back. Yes, Art Laffer was making the case, Michael, and we'll, we'll wrap up Prop HH on this point, and I'll get your thoughts. Art Laffer was making the point we should go ahead and reduce tax rates on the front end. And that is always what we should be shooting for. That is the ideal. That is the goal. But Tabor can exist while you do that and should exist while you do that because it guarantees that we get money back that it belongs to us if government spends or takes in rather more than it is supposed to. Two things can be the, true at the same time. And that's the case here. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the difference with this, I totally agree that we I would have permanent income tax cut over, uh, you know, a Tabor refund. One, that's not going to get through the legislature. But two, what the, what he's trying to do is relate that to property taxes. And what happened was we repealed the Gallagher Amendment where property taxes skyrocketed. And then they said, instead of just fixing that problem without touching Tabor, we're going to go and try to take your Tabor money to do that. So we're not, you know, if, if you look at 2020, um, you know, we're not lowering the rates from there. We had, you know, under the Gallagher Amendment, very low property taxes. They raise property taxes and then want us to pay for it. That's not the same thing. So we tried to have that discussion during the debate. I think Art Laffer was just misguided on this one. Mm. Um, but I don't think, you know, conservatives, even swing voters in Colorado are being fooled right now by what Polis is doing. Yeah, I, I don't think so. And I certainly hope not. Again, no on Prop HH. Uh, Michael Fields, one area where we have some disagreement on the right, and that includes between you and I, and we are both mm-hmm. Douglas County residents as I moved to the county a few months back, Welcome. is 5A. Thank you, sir. 5A and 5B. These are proposals to, in 5A's case, raise taxes slightly in property taxes to pay teachers more, to pay bus drivers more, and hire more bus drivers, and also to bring in more folks who are armed security, whether they are school resource officers or otherwise, to school campuses. And 
5B is a bond measure to do several things, most significantly allow for the construction of three new elementary schools in the southern part of the district, the county, where there isn't a neighborhood school. My sister and her uh, husband, both young They want to raise a family. They live in one of those neighborhoods and they want a neighborhood school. That strikes a little bit close to home for me. So I'm supportive of both of these measures. I've never voted for a tax increase in my life, but I think it is justified in this case. You disagree. Talk to me about it. Yeah. So I I want to set this up in that I have three kids that uh, are in Doug Code District schools right now. I'm a former fourth and sixth grade teacher. Uh, I ran a a charter school uh, for, you know, as a board president for several years. And I think teachers don't get paid enough in Colorado, uh, for sure. I I think teacher pay should be a priority. But I have a problem with raising taxes right now when we're about to see the biggest tax uh, property tax increase in Colorado history. And if you remember, if you looked at this week, Jared Polis put out his budget for next year. And in that budget, he is planning and the legislature has said they will buy down the budget stabilization factor. And they also will fully fund education. And what that means to local districts, including Douglas County, is you're going to see a double digit increase in their budgets next year. And I just simply think that the Douglas County School Board should promise, whether the mill levy passes or not, that we're going to give teachers a it's a 9 or 10% increase uh, based on that new money that's coming in. I think we have to prioritize teachers. But it just reminds me of you know what happens at the state level when they say, number one priority is transportation. We need to fix our roads. Say, but we can't do that without uh, more money. We have to raise taxes. And I see this similar. We need to pay teachers their number one priority but we can't do that unless taxes go higher. At my charter school, we had, you know, the lowest funding in the entire state. Charter schools across the state, uh, you know, have teachers that get paid less than the district schools. Um, but they build, you know, environments. They 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 build, uh, you know, different. And, and you look at, you know, the, the fact that they are able to build something that people want to be a part of. They take care of teachers. They do performance pay. They do all these different things. I think that's the path, not raising taxes, uh, especially not right now. So. It is true that all school districts will be getting additional funding under the School Finance Act and what's happening here with everything going on with the property tax increases and so forth. However, when you look, Michael, at the data points of Cherry Creek and Littleton, they both bring in an extra $3,200 or so per student above their basic funding level, while Doug Coe's current Mill levy override provides not even half as much. That is less than $1,200 per student. So while you could see Cherry Creek and Littleton and Dugco bring in more money, that doesn't allow them to pay their teachers more competitively. I agree with you that a lot of charter schools will pay their teachers less, and because of the environment, teachers are saying, okay, I'm making a decision on a school-by-school basis to go ahead and choose a charter school. But in this case, Uh we are talking district-wide, and we're talking about Cherry Creek and Littleton and the cost of living going on where you have to say maybe you live in Arapahoe County and you're driving past a couple of Cherry Creek schools in order to get to Douglas County schools so that you can be paid less – There is a competitiveness factor here, especially when you have a district that has been thriving like Dugco, where student achievement is the best in the metro area per the CMAS test. And you have seen these robust improvements since we've had a conservative majority school board put in place. 
And to me, that competitiveness piece cannot be understated. Even if all the school districts are getting more, that doesn't mean that Dugco is able to pay their teachers more relative to Cherry Creek or Littleton. Yeah, no, I think that's a, a valid point. I think that's not, um, you know, it's part of the, the argument in Douglas County right now is that the other argument, though, and the one they're leading with is saying we're not going to get a single dollar more because of the property tax increase that's happening across the state, which is not true, which I've told them that's not true. You have to at least admit you're going to get that 10 percent uh, more than last year. I think, you know, this, this Douglas County board has used hundreds of thousands of dollars of taxpayer money in order to try to promote this measure, which I think is wrong. But I think, you know, you have to balance what you're talking about with the burden that's being placed on citizens in Douglas County. And I don't believe we're ever going to catch uh, Cherry Creek or Boulder in terms of teacher pay. What you have to do is you talked about the board coming in, changing things. You have to have teachers that want to be a part of something and feel appreciated financially, right? So at my charter school, we did performance pay. We said every dollar we possibly can, we're going to get to you. I think if you told teachers, regardless if the mill levy passes or not, we're going to give you a 10% increase. I think a lot of teachers are going to stay. We do have a 19% turnover rate right now, not that much higher than, than Cherry Creek teacher you know it's hard to be a teacher in general with how much student loans are sure. it's a broad conversation but in a year where we're about to see i'm going to see a 40 percent increase in property taxes to add it on top right now when the, when the schools are going to be getting that much more i just think it's a bad decision i don't think people uh want to pay that right now and they should have at least waited to see what next year would look like at least promise that that money's going to go to teachers uh and then work from there but i don't think we're going to catch cherry creek i think it's a lot like the charter school discussion saying if we want to be a yeah. part of something that is different than be in Douglas County schools, we're doing a good job, and kids are learning in Douglas County schools. So I, I think you raise a, a number of compelling points, including that Douglas County is highly unlikely to probably ever catch up to Cherry Creek and Littleton. I think Cherry Creek actually indexes their mill levy override yes. to the School Finance Act, so no matter what, they're going to be able to bring in more relative to Douglas County. But to me, it's not about catching up to Cherry Creek or Littleton. It is about... Improving gains when we're talking about a $20,000 per teacher average differential and also starting pay differential between these districts. That's not a small thing. And to me, you, you raise a very valuable point about pay for performance. To me, this mm -hmm. is, in essence, pay for performance because district-wide, Douglas County teachers and their students have been outperforming all of the other school districts in the metro area, I think they're seventh in the state and above their pre-COVID levels, which is truly encouraging as far as actually seeing what we want as conservatives is if you're going to be paying teachers well, you want to make sure that there's performance going on. You're seeing that district wide, but also when you talk about the cost here, when we look at the expense that is estimated for a and i agree that the timing couldn't be worse as far as uh particularly as a political matter but if you have a million dollar home that's 16 dollars per month or five hundred thousand dollar home that's like a cup of starbucks a month so it's not like we're talking about a big tax increase here well i, I mean I think it's relative given the fact that yeah. uh, you know if i'm going to be paying fifteen hundred dollars more and i got to pay two three four hundred dollars more on top of that it is a big deal. And, and I think, look, there's a valid point about this competitiveness, right? But I think, you know, if they were serious about it, they'd say, well, if the mill levy passes, teachers will see an 18% increase. If it doesn't, they're going to see a 9%. Like, I think they're holding hostage teacher pay to getting more tax revenue in. I could be wrong, but I haven't seen them come out and say, either way, we're going to get more money. You know, and I think somebody needs to ask 
the board and the superintendent, you know, if this fails, if you see a 10% increase, our teachers going to see a 10% increase too, because there's no reason that that shouldn't be the case. So we'll yeah. see what happens. I think we're going to know on Tuesday where we're at, but I want to yeah. see teacher pay go up. I'm a big teacher pay person. Prioritize that if that's your number one priority. Yeah, I, I would just say that in this case, Douglas County is a unique case relative to other districts. I've advocated against voting for tax increases in Cherry Creek schools for various reasons. Uh, this to me is an exception to the rule, and you've argued your points quite well. I would just say, as a, as a final matter for 30-second response, again, you do see Cherry Creek and Littleton, it, let's say Douglas County raises their pay, as I believe they will no matter what, you will see the same thing happen in Cherry Creek and Littleton. And so then it ends up coming out in the wash as being basically a, 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 a relative to other school districts, not an increase. Yeah, and I think that that's possible. Again, I think you should take care of your teachers, make them feel uh, like they're appreciated. I would say we would both agree that we need to keep yes. uh, Douglas County in conservative hands yes. uh, as in regards to the school board. Ain't that the truth? Michael Fields, always appreciate you joining us. Hey, I love a spirited discussion where we actually disagree for a change. <laughs> yes, uh, but I, you know I what? Uh, on Prop HH, we could both agree solidly. Vote Thanks. now. Thanks for having me on. My friend, thank you. Once again, Michael Fields joining us from Advanced Colorado. Great discussion. We'll continue on the other side in the next hour. Open lines at 303-696-1971. Keep it here. 710-KNUS. All right. This is what we call a quick segment with a hard break on the way. The Jimmy Sangenberger Show. The texts are starting to fire away. We got some listeners who uh, didn't agree with me in that discussion with Michael Fields. Who was right? Who do you agree with? 303 696 1971. We'll pick up the conversation on that regarding the Douglas County 5A and 5B measures for the mill every override for a small property tax increase to pay teachers more in Douglas County and to build new schools over in 5B. I think you need to figure out what your principles are and stick to them. Let's talk about that on the other side. Join the conversation. Where do you fall? Plus, the rise of anti-Semitism on college campuses, including CU Boulder. Coming up, 710 KNUS, The Jimmy Sangenberger Show. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.